Hello, this is the Plant Book Club. Hello, this is a new episode of the Plant Book Club and today we have read The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wohleben. And my name is Judith. I am um, founder of Flora L Design and uh, researcher in plant biology. And then we have with us uh, Joram. Hi, I'm half of the Plants and Pipettes blog um, where we talk about plant biology and also like learned plant biology at one point, but not doing that anymore. Yes, let's go on to uh, Tegan, <laughs> the other half. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the other half of the Plant Book Club. No, I'm not. I'm the other half of Plants and Pipettes. Sorry, I was so distracted by being a half there. I'm the other half of Plants and Pipettes with you. Okay. And then we go to the US. Is that me? <laughs> That's you. Sorry, Hello, Ellen. I'm Ellen. <laughs> I'm Ellen. I make the podcast Plant Crimes. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Sorry, Ellen. I could have called you by your name instead of by your country of origin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always find it's really fun that we are all around the world uh, discussing books that we have read. And yeah, we um, decided on The Hidden Life of Trees. It was uh, maybe mine, maybe Joram's uh, suggestion. <laughs> we can't really agree, but it's written by a German author, so we may feel both responsible <laughs> for that. <laughs> to go back to our roots there. And it's, um, yeah, Peter Wohleben is a forester and he has written uh, a row of books since 2016 on uh, forest ecology and feelings in trees and as well as in animals. Um, it's quite a particular book. I would suggest we talk a little bit about our expectations on the book first. Do you want to go ahead, Ellen? Um, yeah, I was really excited to read this book because I love learning about plant communications. And um, yeah, I mean, I've heard about it from several people. So uh, I was really yeah, looking forward to it. Did you have anything specific that you knew about the book? Had, had you heard about um, it? I knew vaguely. I mean, I've heard about the fungus stuff. Like the, um, I'm going to avoid saying the word. It starts with an M because I know that I'll just absolutely butcher it. <laughs> so if any of the plant biologists want to say it first, that would be great. <laughs> you mean the mycorrhiza? <laughs> yes, mycorrhiza. Um, and so I've been reading about that in just like my normal science journalism media diet. And so I was really excited to read about that further. And I honestly thought that was what the book would be about. <laughs> <laughs> and it's partially. In a small yeah, yeah, it's mentioned. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> it comes up. It, it comes up, definitely. Yeah, Joram and uh, Tegan, what did you think? What were your expectations? I don't think I had a lot of expectations. I think I had like, I guess one of you mentioned the book, um, I'm not even sure if I'd heard about it, but it does have the the international bestseller on the front, which is potentially a good sign. I mean, sometimes we have this problem with our science books where they're more scientific and less of a novel. So I, I was expecting this one to be a bit more like popular science towards fictiony novel um, than some of the stuff we've read in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also I had heard 
off it like a friend recommended it to me at one point and said like yeah this is a good read so i was also expecting a, like a less technical book and a, like a much more approachable book um and yeah there's the stories about the trees like i i knew that there was like like in the back of my head i knew there's like some german forester guy who is going around and telling these stories um i mean starting from the book i think it was also um presented in in the media and so on so I knew that this is like something of a topic and um, that's where where the author, where Peter Wohleben um, is quite well known for. But apart from that, I didn't really know like what to expect in there. And of course, I also like I heard a little bit of the, the Mycorrhiza. Um, uh, I read about this, like they, they sometimes call it what the, the world, no, the wood white web. Um, yeah. And so th- uh, I, I've, I've heard about that. Um, and I think that was pretty much also my only expectation to, to learn more about this. So mm-hmm. I guess like, my question then is for the two of you who are German, were in Germany for some time, like, had you heard, like, Joram, you just mentioned that you've heard of this guy a bit more. And this, was, this book was originally in German, right? And then it mm-hmm. was translated because it was, like, so popular. So is he a bit more of, like, a popular scientist who's, who's more famous, um, you know, doing, like, speaking tours or something like that in Germany? No, I I've never like came across him like that. Like, as I said, like I only heard about him like very briefly. Not not a, like a TV personality. Like we have other sort of TV scientists, and he's definitely not one of those, as far as I can tell. Oh, and this book came out in 2016, and I think it was one of his first books. Since then, there have been other books, and even a, a children's book about uh, what was that called? Can you hear the trees talking? Um, but I hadn't heard about it, but I'm also not living in Germany. But the book mm. has been popular in Sweden as well. Um, and I have been, uh, what I heard about it was a little bit of critical voices that trees are very much uh, personified in the book. So I kind of went with curiosity about that into the book, expecting that it may. <laughs> <laughs> causes some some thoughts in me. I thought in another way it would have some more biology in it. It's it's um, mm-hmm. it's describing a lot of phenomena, but it's scratching very much at the surface. And mm. also looking at the reference list, for example, it's not so much primary literature. Um, that is cited there, but a lot of like secondary sources mm-hmm. and news uh, articles and other other resources. So, yeah, I definitely um, found that surprising and a little bit frustrating, actually, as well. That yeah, there was lacking some references where I wanted there to be references, and then sometimes when there was a reference, it was like a news thing, and I was like, well, then I still don't know if it's just somebody's opinion, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily science if it's if it's just referencing a news article Hmm. but at Hmm. least for a popular science book at least there are these references i've had other books in the past where you didn't have them and here's at least like 70 references or 76 on 250 pages so like many of them are not primary sources so that's not great and i agree like i everything you said is absolutely right but i want to say it's sort of a plus for this thing at least Mm. it does have some references because like there's other popular science books that have nothing in the back and you have no way of looking up the the sources 
Yeah, I also would like to add as a fact checker for the U.S., for <laughs> one of the U.S. media groups, the they are usually fact checked, like magazine articles and stuff versus nonfiction books aren't usually fact checked unless the author decides to pay for it themselves. At least that's how it works here. Um, so I don't know. I trust like National Geographic more than I would trust like a science book. Yeah, the thing mm-hmm. is like if he's if he's referencing like if he says like that's why some people think trees can feel pain and then references a newspaper article. I don't know if like those some people are like you know the opinions of uh, somebody who writes like a journalist or the opinions of the public that the journalist has reported on or like the result of scientific experimentation or the opinions of the scientist who wants like I don't know I don't know how much that is like a thought or a belief versus like a kind of scientifically demonstrated thing so that's like that's where the references sometimes blurred that line for me like and in that case yeah I do I do like having references but I also I get frustrated when references are not like when it's not primary literature or something where it's like like Green Priest uses liter- like references literature in their in their um things when they're talking about GMOs and rats and those are retracted literature and that's kind of a case of like the worst case of like referencing mm-hmm. where you're deliberately misleading using referencing in a misleading way and sometimes this kind of I don't think it was deliberately misleading, but it got to that point where it's like, I don't know, your references is, is trying to support your opinion, but I don't find that reference is strong enough for me to believe that that's a good source. Um, but because you've put that reference in, I think it would make a lot of people immediately think that because there's that little like footnote reference, it's already a fact, not an opinion. So that's what I found. I found like it mm-hmm. it blurred the line between like opinion and fact a bit for me and that made mm. me a little uncomfortable. That's also something like, I, I want to get back on that like later on, um, but something to add to your argument there is that many of the sources are in German and for Judith and me, that's not a big problem, but this is an international edition of a book. So that can also be sometimes difficult then if you want to f- read up and then the source leads to a German newspaper or a German book published in the eighties, um, <laughs> that makes it much harder to follow up on. So it's also like for our like readers who are not German speaking, I guess it's quite a lot uh, or listeners, um that's quite a quite a, most of them i guess um that means that if you want to use this book as a sort of starting point for some research um to to look for stories to learn more you might quite often hit a language barrier there but this is simply due to the fact that this is a german author um who works yeah, but a lot in german also also if what you're reporting on is like a, a scientific discovery Yes, there could be a newspaper article. It's great. You should reference that newspaper article because it's probably more accessible for most people. But why not also put the DOI of the published article? Like, yeah, even if the newspaper source is in German, that original research is, is quite likely to be in English in this day and age, right? Like, But like, even if it was still in German, why not still put like that link to that journal in there as well? Like, That's what I always want because I get that like newspapers are much more accessible for the majority of people but like i know and i know i know my needs are very niche but like i want to see that next thing where i'm like okay and because like yeah again a lot of newspapers are like journals are really good about doing this nowadays but some still don't put the the rest is still hard to find sometimes in, in some sources and i got i'm sure ellen you can also comment on this but like yeah 
I want that easy access where I can just like Google the title of the paper and find it immediately. Yeah, for sure. I think like the best, obviously the best newspaper articles about science link to the study at some point. And Mm -hmm. the ones that I fact check, I try to incorporate that into it. But um, coming back to the book, like what is what is it actually about? I mean, we already sort of jumped into a meta discussion of how to do references, right? Um, <laughs> and, but it's, it, to me, it's something important as well for this book um, th- uh, that we can discuss later on. But maybe first, let's talk about what's actually in the book. What what is it about? Um, I mean, it's obviously about the trees um, and and forests in general. Uh, a lot of like European trees that are discussed uh, and it's all about like how do they grow up how do they come to sort of adulthood how do they live and how do they die and what impact does that have like what impact do do we have on forests and also a little bit what do what impact do forests have on us Um, how like what would you say like all of you asking that in in, in, into the the, the group um, what what this book is about and what stood out for you or what do you remember from the book? I learned that beaches are very powerful. I didn't <laughs> realize but that oaks before. Are mightier. Well, yes. oaks, might, well, oaks were mighty, I think. <laughs> yes. No, what I, what I liked is that it had this it had a clearly a forest forester's perspective. He, he relates really to the trees and some parts were written from the perspective of a tree. I almost felt that he is re- he's really going into the trees and he feels with the trees when the tree dies or other things. There's a lot of emotions brought into the life of a tree. Um, I thought it was, it covered a lot of chapters. When I first looked through it, after the first chapter, I looked and I said, what, how can he write an entire book just about trees, keeping at that level where he is not going so much into the depths? Um, but I, I enjoyed actually these different ecological parts and which trees are growing where. I'm, I'm really, I've come into biology from the molecular biology part, so I haven't studied botany or forests as such. So I felt like on these general parts, I learned a lot on the biology. I found, well, sometimes I knew more and I knew that that was only scratching at the surface and some other parts I felt like I really want to read up on. But it's uh, uh, like how trees live together was very interesting and also what what does the forest mean for the tree compared to trees in other settings such as plantations and uh, city trees like the street kids like he calls Mm -hmm. them. Um, and that was that was interesting to have this comparison where he compares the whole ecosystem and how small trees develop under larger trees and he transmits that into other settings. How would that function in a plantation and how does that function if we let plantations recover to old forests? and all these different stages of a forest that a forester will see and the different damages that different weathers can do to to the trees and how they recover, how they interact with different organisms. It was a lot of of different interesting facts and I think the part that I enjoyed most was how how different um, organisms, animals built uh, 
uh, like housing spots in the stems and how they are given from one to the other animal when it's outgrown and mm -hmm. that there's a total an entire ecosystem going on there that I hadn't ever thought about. So I, I think I that was my that. favorite section actually that that chapter about like the succession of like a woodpecker comes in then the fungi widens the hole and then like another animal comes in and adds some mud in there and then like something like an owl's in there and it, like I really liked that kind of yeah that was mm. I think that was the best chapter I would say yeah yeah, yeah speaking of chapters this has like 37 chapters and each chapter follows a certain idea and looks at that idea in context of the forest or of the tree so it's like light or carbon dioxide or biodiversity um, then plantations versus sort of natural old growth forests or trees in a city versus trees in a forest um, how trees propagate and how they um, find new places to grow so every chapter sort of is its own little thing um, that doesn't really like it they, you could isolate any of these chapters in my opinion and it would work which is on one hand good but it also means that in my eyes there was like a lot of repetition in there like this whole idea yeah. that For example, only 3% of the light reached the ground in the forest because the, the canopy of the, the tall trees obviously take all of the light and below that you don't get that much light. And this fact about these 3%, I, I, I felt like I read a dozen of times throughout the book. Yeah, that one and like the mother <laughs> yeah, trees help the baby trees and everybody's connected. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I feel like there was, yeah, there was like three or four, a cluster of three or four central ideas, which were like those ones. And then the different chapters are looking at it from different, slightly different points of view. But yeah, realistically for me, it was too many different points of view. I, I, f I really struggled to finish this book. This is this has been the hardest so far for me to, <laughs> to keep ca caring about what was being said throughout that, the book. I really, more, I really had a hard time. More than what did we read at, at one of the first books? The 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 sands? No, the the sands of time? No, the. Fruit of the Fruit sand. Fruit of the sands. Be well, because that one, like, once you got past like the four hundred pages of millet, or was it was it um, <laughs> foxtail or brew, whatever it was? Oh my god, I have to read it again because I've forgotten what it was. Um, once you got past that, like each new chapter was a completely new like apples and then like lemons. Mm -hmm. Like that was those. Like I think your problem with that book, Yarm, is you didn't get past the big chunk of millet. But after that, there was like yeah. new stuff every chapter. Whereas this one, it didn't get past that like there was a lot of those themes were still coming up in the 35th, 36th, 37th chapter. Mm -hmm. It was still, and there was like a lot of also like linking backwards and forwards and for like, like, like they would say, Oh, in chapter two, like, as I mentioned in chapter 37, this is like a street kid. And then in chapter 37, he's like, here's the street kid I brought up in chapter two. And it's like, one of those mentions would have been enough. I didn't actually need a full chapter on it, given that you already mentioned it in chapter two. Like that mm -hmm. was my feeling. It was just mm -hmm. a bit too, too much the same what kept me going was this uh parallels he made i mean roots uh, the brains and <laughs> oh, <laughs> all these kind of things that came up there and then i was like oh my gosh what's going to come up in the next chapter he relates it so much to i think i uh, the language of trees that the chapters have actually these titles forest etiquette and trees aging gracefully and I mean, it's very um, poetic titles and there's a lot of metaphors to the human body. 
which are not always put so clearly that they are metaphors. It's just like a statement, like mm -hmm. uh, the brain of the tree sits in the roots. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> But that's the thing, like so. he's presenting that next to what are presumably scientific facts. And that is not a scientific fact. And that frustrated me so much. Like, because when you say that in such a way, and he would often say, I believe that trees feel pain or this is like something. And it's like, The problem is you've set yourself up as an expert and as a like as somebody who has the truth, and a lot of these things were just his opinion and were or like like as he said like sort of metaphorical romanticisms, and I think for me like the one of the last chapters so thirty six I think it is where he's talking about how he wishes that trees were seen by people to be more like humans or animals so that we would care for them more, I think. He should have put that at the very start because that would have at least explained his perspective and his rationale. It would have been like an introduction where he's saying, hey, I think that if we think of trees as more human, it will make the world a better place. So I'm going to then invite you to do this through the book. But instead, he's sort of done like what I think is a, a sleight of hand of like saying, oh, look, roots are brains and plants feel pain. That's a fact. And here's now you should think of them as human. But it's not a fact. Like, it's not a fact that... Like trees feel pain. That's yeah. I'm not okay with that being stated. <laughs> like that, I, that made me very uncomfortable. I think that's misleading, to be honest. That's also my biggest gripe that I have with the book, and something that really bothered me a lot because I f I feel like there's a certain genre of popular science books that are like this that mix like findings from sort of scientific consensus papers from individual research groups that are not following the scientific consensus and in the, uh, individual personal opinion, they mix that all together without making clear what is what. And so you read these statements side by side. You read like, photosynthesis takes light energy and converts it into sugars, which is clear fact for that like no plant biologist would disagree with. And then he says like, yeah, the roots are the brain and plant, uh, trees feel pain, uh, feel pain. And all of these things he mixes together without really clearly distinguishing what is supported by scientific evidence, what is supported by a lot of scientific evidence. Um, and and there, was, there was, for me, there were sections where he would make statements. And from my, like, from my plant biology background, I'd be like, that's not true. But then I would reread it a few times. I was like, this is worded so vaguely and weirdly and sort of like in a non-scientific, like in a kind of metaphorical way, where it's like, well, maybe it is true if he means this as a metaphor. It's it's so vague that you can't clearly say it's a lie. It's just sort of in this in-between thing, but it's the way it's represented is quite misleading. In my opinion, it even goes further that books like this can can further science skepticism. I don't know like, if you would agree with me there. I, I'm curious to hear you, uh, your opinion on that. But um, like he very often tells the tale of sort of the underdog researcher of somebody like there's sort of the big consensus trees don't feel pain but then there's this research and they find that trees actually do feel pain or we don't know mm -hmm. how how memory in trees work so it must be the brain and the roots right and by like by using this narrative and framing signs like this repeatedly he gives off the idea that like scientific consensus is something that can be overthrown just very very easily yeah. and that and, like, scientists actually of don't it, but he did right yeah scientists actually don't know their stuff and so there needs to be to come somebody has to come and disrupt it and then they have like this very cool idea and 
I don't know if it's just like my perspective on the book, but there's stuff like he he's citing work by Anastasia Makarieva um, from Russia. She's a nuclear physicist um, who became uh, known for publishing work about climate effects of large forests in Siberia, <laughs> and it's like highly debated her work. And he doesn't yeah, mention that at like, all. Yeah, we've had like huge arguments about this on our podcast. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there's like there's a good Science Mag article that actually shows like the sides of the argument and shows that they are like a minority opinion in the scientific world but in this book in the hidden life of trees it's cited just like any other scientific source as if it would be scientific consensus that forests have these like large-scale climate effects because it fits the narrative can i I pull up also like i I don't know if the rest of you noticed um ellen and you're in particular and there was a couple of references where i'm like i know that name and then i was like i remember that from the stefano mancuso book and i looked up some of the people's names i was like that a person has been cited before by Stefano Mancuso and that sort of again sort of clarifies for me that that might be a bit of a niche perspective that's not necessarily the consensus like there was a few scientists in here who came up in both books and I was like "Mm, I mm." can I can I make it like so one of the examples can I give an example of this like vagueness so there's a discussion about how plants lose their leaves in the winter and he's sort of linking it to people going to sleep. And there's this thing that says, just as we take a trip to a quiet little room before we go to bed, trees also rid themselves of substances they do not need and would like to be and like to part with. And he's sort of like linking this to the leaves. And it's just such a vague way of putting that where like it kind of it's not really the point. Like, yes, they drop the leaves, um, but it's not like they're discarding waste and it's not like they're going to sleep. Like, it's just like the, these 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 turns of phrases, they kind of, they come at a different meaning from what's really happening. But the way he states it, it's kind of vague enough where you're like, yeah, I guess that's not exactly wrong, but it's just kind of, mm-hmm. it's just weirdly vague. Like, and stra- yeah, it's strange. Like shedding leaves is an active process so the trees can't go to sleep yet. Like these kind of like... I don't know. It very much bugged me. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I thought that uh, there was, uh, it wasn't, I mean, I've, I've heard strong maybe about the mycorrhiza part because it's, uh, I have done my PhD in that area. And um, now the book came out t- 2016. There are some very recent findings that are discussing how, beneficial mycorrhiza are, for example, in very nutrient-poor soils. Now, that is probably not the case in the area where he is. That's a problem for us here in northern Sweden. That's also why it's more more done here. But the hypothesis is that um, the, the fungi, they take up nitrogen and phosphorus, and they match that to their needs of sugars by what they get from the tree. And only if they have leftovers, they may provide it to the tree. So, and then he he says that uh, fungi are they are in favor of equitable distribution of information and resources, and I feel like um, uh, <laughs> yes, not really. And this kind of uh, it has been discussed much also in the popular scientific literature. If it's like a marriage of choice, or even scientific people using these words and discussing how beneficial are they, or how much opportunities or put, or put, what is it opportunists. Called? 
Exactly. Are they that just benefit from each other or that the tree leaches carbon into the soil that the fungus absorbs? So this kind of critical voices would have liked to see this in there. Um, and I didn't really find this. And uh, in other parts, I think it was more towards the end where I found, I found just the wording wasn't right, that when he said uh, photos in photosynthesis, uh, water and carbon dioxide are a split. Well, water is split, carbon dioxide is uh, assimilated into glucose. So that is like, it's tiny. These are smaller things when it comes to the wording, but it would have been good to have it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the also the water splitting and the um, CO2 uh, assimilation are two kind of, they are really, they're connected, but uh, they are two different processes. So making that in terms of biology right. I would have enjoyed if he would have written this book together with a biologist um, Mm. that would have given the depths because I think what he does is very valuable and that's why the book is a bestseller he makes all these parallels to human biology and that's what people relate to and it's very emotional so people like to read that and it has such a value in it that the scientists usually have problems to convey but connecting that perspective to the science would have been a really great book and would have conveyed both this metaphorical poetic side as well as to the facts that are behind it and that support these claims. Or maybe they would have also made these claims a little bit uh, weaker on some parts. Yeah. So that, that was my that. point. He doesn't use the usual science journalism trope of like following a scientist. I mean, I guess he has dubbed himself that forester and is kind of the person that he's following. But... um I think this book is so readable because he does connect it in such detail to, like, humans. And I mean, that's what we're ultimately interested in is ourselves. (laughs) And so that's usually how science journalists get into it is by providing some sort of human character like Michael Pollan did uh, with uh, Johnny Appleseed and and stuff. Um, So... I do think this is a powerful book in terms of it is incredibly tree-centric. Like, the whole thing is about trees um, with some wildlife thrown in. And um, so, yeah, I I think that is powerful. You're absolutely right. I I fully agree. And I think... um yeah, I, I also would have liked to have like more of a... I don't know if this book, yeah. book uh, was fact-checked, but I would have liked like more rigorous fact-checking or, as you said, Judith, like really like sort of a co-authorship with um, a tree scientist, like, some, like somebody whose scientific language is toned down by Peter Wohleben, but who brings in the expertise to get the, like the small details right that are important because then like people will remember these things. People will remember that CO2 is split. They will remember that the roots are the brain. And if you make it clear what is a metaphor, what is scientific fact, what is like a hypothesis, something that could be but hasn't been proven yet, if you make these things clear, people will also remember that and and use that for their own experience of the world. Um, So yeah, I fully agree. Like I would have liked to see like somebody with like really the scientific expertise to to like correct like the small details to get like the whole thing right because right now like we are sort of um annoyed at the the imprecision and sometimes really the the 
like um, sources that I personally would not trust being cited there. Um, but it is a very, I found it very readable, the book, even though I found it rep uh, like too repetitive. Um, I still wasn't hindered by the language to go through it. Like, um, like with some other books where you like every sentence is full of big words and you have to decipher it. This is not true here. Like it, you can very easily read it. And I think that's a big strength of the book. I just wish like the details would have been better. In Germany, um, is the fact-checking process the same as it is here for nonfiction books? Like, do y'all have professional fact-checkers who, um, who check nonfiction books? Especially since this was published in Germany, I'm curious about that. To be honest, I don't know. I know that like the bigger newspapers, they have fact-checkers for their articles, as you said before. That like newspapers are good with that, but only like the really the the large ones, the like three, four main ones have. Like yeah, rigorous I'm not fact-checking. Sure uh, for books, I don't know. I'll I'll try to find something ab about it. Um, but yeah, maybe later in the show, <laughs> I'll have an answer to that. <laughs> I think they're scared of the, the fact-checking for like autobiography stuff, where like other people are getting named and they're scared of getting sued, right? And I'm not sure if it's as rigorous for like like the trees aren't going to sue anybody at least here. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> Wasn't there like one of those kind of, you know, stories of survival um, where somebody like just made up a whole lot of stuff and then it got like this, it became this big court case, like this, you know, my traumatic t growing up past and then they found out that it was all made up and it was all lies and this was Yeah, like, it was no, the book okay, with anyway. the fingers on the sprinkles in the front. I don't remember what it was called. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I think maybe you must have talked about it before, Ellen. That must have, I think like... That's why I heard about it. I did. I did think it was interesting that um, Judith, you just said that like the bit that bugged you was the mycorrhiza, and that happens to be like kind of your more like specialty. That's stuff that you've worked on, because I think that's something that Ellen, you've also brought up in the past, where one of the problems we find with the pop science books is that if we know a bit more about that specific specific niche, it bugs us more. We kind of notice the the small errors or the, the things that are not how we would have written it and that makes it like a little bit harder for us to to get into yeah and it's uh in, i think one interesting thing that we could mention is that there is actually a comment uh in in the end of the book note from a forest scientist and uh suzanne simard who is a professor of forest ecology from Vancouver. She has written three pages of what it was about the book and a little bit about her own findings. And I, what I don't know is that was it written post the book was ready for publishing and accepted and she was supposed to read through it and write it or did she have any contribution to the content of the book? Um, obviously, what now it's published in the book and it's uh, it's a very positive um statement and she herself writes a little bit in a, a poetic way in the end and I mean I, I know that she has been very much popular and she has given uh, popular science talks and uh, she is um, a TED talk I think she has given as well and she's a scientist that is much discussed nowadays there was a large uh, I think New York Times article about her and her research and uh, she she's a known name in that field with the wood white web and her findings about that but yeah i don't know what her contribution to the book was if she would have read it and um and checked what was in it yeah hopefully she's read it but i don't know if she would have had like any input on it 
Yeah, I just I tried to figure out if Germany does like system systematic fact checking in sort of nonfiction books, and I couldn't find any evidence for that. Like that we do have this fact checking also for newspapers, but also for bigger ones. It's also quite recent. Like Germany is only doing that for I don't know five to ten years that we really. Uh, doing that systematically and i think apart from that it's really um really much up to very much up to the editors if they want to do that or not and given like this is the first book i think that had like an international translation done from peter Wohlieben, but he has written other books that were only published in german before and it could be and this is purely speculative 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 that um like given his track record of having successfully written a couple of like German language science books, this might have been just like assumed that this is correct what he's writing because he has the track record of the others other things from before. So it is possible that it didn't go through like very rigorous fact checking beforehand. Um, but as I said, like I don't know, like it w it would be up to the actual editor to to tell us whether this was fact-checked or not before. If he had had a professional fact-checker, he might have had to link to the original source, to the primary sources. <laughs> hmm. I think for the translation as well, some of the things as they have written could be also due to the translation from German. Um, it's, it says who has translated the book, but I don't know if that person is a is a scientific person or not. Which also contributes to that because sometimes have, not having the scientific um, wording and knowledge makes also the facts twist. I was asking if there was any like German word that sounds like pain because there's so many mentions of trees being in pain and I was like, could that be a mistranslation? Like, <laughs> are the trees like, I don't know, brown? <laughs> Is that what he's saying? <laughs> it's just mistranslated. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. that. Like, I couldn't figure out like any mistranslation that's that's coming from that. Like, the pain thing is also in the German version, I guess, um, because I could not find like a, a weird translation where the word for pain in German w could have double meanings or something. Um, yeah, but I just read that some people in the reviews, like in the official reviews of the of the book, are comparing it to the the movie Avatar. So I just wanted to put that out there. How do you guys feel about that? About I love that. <laughs> that it's we just it's need to plug ourselves in. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to find, there was like somewhere here, there was a reference to like a German song, like a pop song, and I really wanted to make your arm sing it. <laughs> I hope you won't find it. I, I, I barely remember oh, what it was. I marked it. It, it was from here. Peter Maffei. Yeah. So much yes. I know. And um, it was it? written on the last line on a page on the left side, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somewhere. I think it was Alpha and sure. Baum, right? Is it from Peter Maffei, Alpha and Baum? Is that poor or something? We also have yeah. Avoid Oaks, Seek Beaches. Yeah, I, um, maybe you find it and I can 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 try, but I don't really know a lot of Peter Maffei songs, to be honest. Um, there's something else I wanted to mention, just because it's like a small nitpicky thing that bothered me. I mean, this is a book written by a German in German language uh, in, the, in the first place. And then all of the units used are imperial units. I'm sorry, Alan, because they, like, they're more comfortable <laughs> for you, but like most of the world doesn't use inches 
or uh, miles or Fahrenheit. Uh, and still, like, the book is telling me that, like, the, the water moves up the tree a third of an inch per day or per hour or something. And but that must be a translation choice that somebody's, like, translated to English and yeah. been like, well, that's American English. But that annoyed US me. US English. Uh, it's not on Peter Wohlleben, probably, but it annoyed me because then, like, in my head, like, when it was talking about temperatures, I had, like, no idea what it's about. Like That's on the publisher, I think. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry because like I know that like it must have been like the goal of the translation must must have been to aim for the United States market and so um that's why they made that choice but for me not as, that like German person reading in English in Germany market yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, I, was, I, was I also reacted to that, I can say. I, it made it more less um, authentic for me because that is not units he would have used living there in the Eiffel in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the deepest part of Germany, <laughs> measuring nothing in inches. Yeah. <laughs> but apart from that, like, yeah, I, I think we touched on many of the things that I wanted to, to, to talk about. Um, I I have some comments about climate change I want to bring up. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> do you think he's a climate change denier? I don't think so. Just I don't think he's a I climate change so denier. Either. I think he acknowledges that climate change is happening. I saw that in the book. But I found his... There was a particular part um, on page 199 where he says, I made a calculation for the old beach stands in the forest I manage using available scientific data. Even if we have Spanish-style climate here in Humul, Humul, somewhere in the future, an overwhelming number of the trees would cope. And I just, I just don't believe that he made the calculations, to be honest. This is not the sort of thing you just do on the back of an envelope, right? This is like complicated stuff. And also the phrase, the trees would cope, doesn't mean anything. Like, would they still reap? Like, what, what, what does he say? Like, I just, that really bugged me. And then the next chapter was about um, how sometimes, like, um, extreme events like storms and floods and stuff can be disruptive and can damage and hurt and kill trees and again that seems like a, an obvious place where you would discuss the changing weather and how it's getting drier and there's like more like you know extreme events and it didn't come up and like all of these things never came up throughout the book and it's such an obvious thing and yeah I thought to start with maybe this book was written like 20 years ago and then it would make sense but like to be talking about forests and how they will withstand time there was also a part where he discussed um historical temperature changes and he's like oh yeah this is like changed very quickly in the past as well so like trees did okay in that time period when there was like very quick temperature change within only a few years and it's like that's again that's not really what we're expecting for climate change we're expecting that the the rate of change now is like basically faster than what these organisms have ever like this is it's not that and i felt like he wasn't doing that right that that really bugged me i mean again it's it's definitely my pet peeve right now coming (laughs) from where i'm coming from um but it really bugged me and it bugged me that he was saying that he had made the calculations and the trees were going to be fine like that's not something you can say. Maybe I can shed some light on that with like a 
five minute research uh, while you were explaining that. Um, I just looked for his name and the word climate change in like German. <laughs> and um, it seems that like his opinion is that um, the forests will survive. But what we have mostly are not forests, it's plantations of trees. And this is a topic that comes up a lot in the book as well, that like managed forests or plantations of trees that are used for wood, um, they are not really forests. He calls them like all kinds of things, like their, their, their roots are not connected and it's all like artificial and, and therefore the trees grow too quickly and are not healthy. And I think he has no doubt that these things will die. Um, but in his mm -hmm. opinion, these are not real forests and therefore it's not really important to discuss it because he says like these things are bound to die anyway, like either because we harvest them and then all of them are dead or because they die from like the environment, from climate, uh, climate change. And so in his opinion, as far as I could research it so briefly, it's like we should let these things die anyway and replace them with like proper slow growth, old grown woods, um, which is, to be discussed whether that is like a feasible alternative um but i think this is where it comes from like his idea that like the the, the forest will cope is like yeah some of like the old growth resilient forests they will survive but they make up like a but small what, percentage of all woodlands what evidence does he have of this he can't just state that forests are better and therefore they'll survive like realistically like you you yourself have talked about how pando which also comes this you know huge organism made up of like one tree but it's like massive um, right? Is it called Pando? Yeah, Pando. You've mentioned before that this is already succumbing to climate change, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Like it, it, it has problems with climate change, and I'm like, I'm, I'm. Tr this is like what I read about um, Peter Wuhlim. This is not like I also agree that like if the plantations are dying, probably the sort of old growth forests they might have like a little bit more resilience due to biodiversity maybe due to like a better topsoil layer that retains more water and stuff like that but i would also see them at risk but yeah i i agree with you that i find found it also a little bit dodgy the way he he presented it as if like don't worry well, the true forest firstly, will be like safe it's it's one thing to not give it like so i i believe him that like a you know a stable community with you know more complex interactions more diversity of different species not just like plants but like you know animals that's more stable and more resistant to change like this is okay that's fine that makes sense to me in the context of the literature i'm okay with that so i'm okay with you saying forests are going to be hardier than a, a monoculture a plantation sure tick happy with that but to say then the forest will be okay under climate change that's a big leap from forests will do better than plantations and then to say i made calculations and the for using scientific data and the forest will be okay that's that's major mistrust like for me like that's if you made the calculations publish the calculations and show me like i really like again this is my field right i don't believe you did you can't do this on the back of an envelope and if you did show us like i yeah. just it makes me really angry to make these statements without backing them up in any way and it seems faith faith based to me that he because he they are more stable they should be more stable he believes they will survive climate change like that's weird messaging and if you want to have that weird messaging that goes a lot of against a lot of what i would say are realistic fears about how the world's going to cope with climate change like you've got to be backing that up somehow dude 
I think he is uh, that I, I try to keep an open mind into that and uh, also the following chapters to find out what he really was like how he took took position and I felt that uh, I had that revelation also as uh, Joram said in the last chapter where it's really clear how he thinks about forests and what he really wants and that he is like feeling so strong for the trees and he wants us basically to end plantation forestry and to have much more real forests. And he talks the whole book about how both detrimental and beneficial organisms live together there and how the trees are strong in the wind and uh, keeping the moisture and in every kind of aspects, how a forest that is a real forest is such a strong organism that uh, helps to to be maintained. And I think that is his belief that makes him make this claim. And then as well, there is nothing really about the the facts of how he calculated something and which scientific facts it is based on. But I found he took a very optimistic approach from the view of a tree that whatever will come, I will survive if I'm just in my natural setting. Um, and he talks about how uh, how the trees migrate north and south and which ones do that and which ones are more local. Um, and that, that has clearly a perspective as well. And he seems to be, I didn't think he was denying it, but I just, he wasn't putting any emphasis on for example, the extreme weathers, that they will become more extreme in the future. And we are seeing this now in, in Germany. I mean, you see the pictures and you see the trees are floating around. They're not standing anymore. But <laughs> if they come from an old forest or if they come from a plantation, obviously, that is a bit hard to say. But um, he addresses it, how these extreme weathers are going to be a problem. So I think that is still um, calling for attention and like making people notice that well there is there are issues and these issues maybe I found everything the book was in general written rather optimistic even in the end when he said we should try to transform plantations into old forests and which steps the this would go through and that it would take 500 years for this to be established and that we need to be patient with that I found it was all on a on a positive side of wanting to make a positive contribution not to want to highlight the problems that we know we are having but what I found he never addresses is that we're using wood from the forest today so if we don't fell the trees anymore what is his suggestions that we should do differently mm -hmm. because we can't just like protect even though it's only a small percentage, but that is uh, the industry has also uh, a need for that. And how can we change how we do today in a sustainable way? That I would have been interested well, in that. One of his suggestions was don't buy his book. Like there was definitely like this, even <laughs> this book is written on paper and this paper was a murdered tree. And I was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I shouldn't have bought the book is what you're saying. Like, yeah. Mm. We should just make everything out of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Protect the trees. Yeah. <laughs> Use plastic. That's what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I wondered the same thing. I wondered like how how should that work? Like I can I can see I can like 
honestly see the point of saying like look big tree plantations they are not healthy forests they're like a cornfield like you grow the wood it takes longer than on a cornfield but in the end you harvest everything in a clear cut and then you take the wood and you use that for whatever you need lumber or like paper or wood pellets to to heat the houses so i can see how how we would say like look this is not great for the environment just like how cornfields aren't the pinnacle of biodiversity like you can make the case that big cornfields are also bad but then saying like let's stop growing corn and wheat and everything because it's bad then what do we eat and if we stop growing trees for wood then how do we build sustainable housing like we want to like everybody's talking about how concrete is this big emitter of carbon dioxide and so we should focus more on like wood-based construction even for like large buildings and we can do that now with like modern architecture but if you do that without really taking a lot of wood from the forest you can't really do that and he doesn't really he doesn't go into this at all and i would have liked to see like a, a perspective on that because i honestly i i don't know i can see how it can be problematic to have plantations but i would like to see like a a, a feasible viable alternative suggestion what to do and also i'm sorry to be that person but like <laughs> On the climate change angle, I mean, <laughs> there's this really big push right now to like plant trees um, as part of like climate change mitigation, right? And the problem is a lot of these tree planting efforts are like monocultures, which is what he doesn't like. So there's a really nice angle here <laughs> where he could just be like, hey, this is also part of the, the global future. And again, just not interested in engaging with climate change at all, which I find very upsetting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'll shut up now about that. But like, <laughs> opportunity is right there, dude. Like, reach out for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, it's actually a very uh, up-to-date subject uh, because two days ago, July 16th, there was a, a new publication on the, uh, on the EU website and they have made a proposition for a new forest strategy for 2030. So how to how to use the forests in a more sustainable way and that has in Sweden led already to political discussions because we are a big country here of clear-cutting and uh, if clear-cutting isn't to be done anymore, it, it, I mean, it doesn't say it so specifically but it says that we need to work in a more sustainable way and uh, like have sustainability limits as well uh, to have, to keep our forest healthy and resilient for decades to come. Uh, so I think that's an it's a very interesting time also after the discussions that have been about uh, forestry and we think that forests and wood is a regrowing material, but it grows for hundreds of years until it's there. The trees that we harvest are young, but they are still 100 years old. So if we cut plenty of them down, well, it takes a long time until they grow again. Um, And uh, I think you made an important comment on that in the beginning also. And that is something that I wanted to look up more, but I haven't done. But he said that um, the forest industry claims that young trees, they are producing uh, accumulating more biomass because they are actively growing but that, that is actually not right that older trees they accumulate more CO2 and I think that's an important part as well then we know when we cut down the trees of course then the area releases CO2 so it's both it's it's the absence of accumulation and also the release from the ground 
So that's um, it's a very interesting subject, and I think there's a lot to be learned about that. And this book may be one of the parts where it really it it puts the the importance of having a healthy forest um, out in the world. So there I can see, even though there are flaws and letdowns for us as biologists, it's sending a very important message and really showing how complex and fascinating the forest ecosystem is and how important it is for, for us. And for me also to, to end on a more positive note on the book is that What I hadn't had as aware, I wasn't aware of um, as much was the fact of the very, very slow growth. And uh, um, I mean, I knew that trees grow slowly, but really the timeframes, like the decades it takes for a young sapling to emerge and grow to like chest height um, and then to continue to grow. Like if we want to manage trees or forests, we have to really think in, in like time spans of many decades and not just of like, okay, for the next 20 years, this is what we're going to do. This is not enough time. Like we have to think for the next 200 years, this is the plan that we want to take. And this is how we want to approach this. And the book really drove home this point for me that if we want to approach forests to, to make them more sustainable, to like fight climate crisis using forests as one of the tools or, um, however we want to use uh, forests and trees, we really have to think about this like very long-term aspect of it. And I really, like this is something where I can't really hold a grudge against the book because like it made it very abundantly clear how slow trees are living their lives and how we have to like adapt to that. Like we have to take this into account when we're interacting with them. And so this is something that I, that what I like this book for to like, planting this idea in my head that I can now slowly grow and help me when I, I'm next time in, in the forest you. or when I think about like people like raising money to plant trees like what does that mean like on a, on a long-term scale like how do we approach this who do you think this book is for who would you recommend it to read I feel bad about bad things in it that I don't really want to give it to somebody who doesn't know anything about trees but I also know like the annoying things are also um, preventing me from suggesting that to my like plant science friends because then they will also be annoyed about that so i don't really know who i would recommend this to like it's not a book that i think nobody should read but at the same time i feel uncomfortable telling anybody like look you will learn so much from this book or have have a have a look at it so maybe i'll answer after i heard your answers <laughs> i would say have you heard of a really good book called braiding sweetgrass read that one instead that is my <laughs> I think it has similar so ideas good. of like connecting to ecology and like, you know, treating the trees as sort of people or like, you know, not so much as people, but, you know, feel, letting them have feel like it has all those good ideas without having the things that I didn't like here. So I think I would definitely, yeah, I, I don't, I honestly wouldn't recommend this book. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's not, it's not for me, this book. Have we read, we haven't read Breeding Sweetgrass, right? No, we have. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Oh, we did. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I uh, you had already read it before, there. but yeah, we did it. We did it way yeah. back when, and that's that's my favorite so far. <laughs> yeah, that's like one of my favorite books of all time. I recommend. I that haven't to quite read that people. yet, so I have still I have that outcome. Something to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. Ellen, what would you say? What would you recommend this book? Who whom would you recommend this book for? 
Um, I mean, I agree that I would recommend Braiding Sweetgrass over this one, but if someone's already read Braiding Sweetgrass and wants to learn more about trees, like, I don't know. <laughs> I I think I would recommend other books over this one, honestly. Um, I don't know. I haven't gotten all the way through um, Martin Sheldrake's um, fungi book, but I... I'm excited about it. And oh, like I that? said, it's, I don't know. We have, um, we have a, uh, f- tree fungus expert among us. So I don't know your opinions on this. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't read that yet either. So, uh, that's, uh, there's plenty of popular science books to read. I had actually not read many before I joined you here. And now I'm really happy that we read all these books because I, I get a perspective on how these books are written, which I didn't have when you don't read these books. So mm-hmm. then you you read science and, um, well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you wonder why when you talk to people, they don't, you don't communicate it in the right way. So I think that's, that's what I take from these books is how, like, this becomes a bestseller, why? And what would I change to make it more scientific? There is there is something in it that makes it interesting for people to read and make it pleasant for them to read the book. So there there is certainly something that I can learn from it. Um, maybe not the the non scientific way it is written. <laughs> but sorry, I interrupted you, Ellen. Oh yeah, just I've been enjoying Martin Sheldrake's book. I think that's his name. Let me make sure. I know it's it's the the fungi one my mother wanted us to read it for the book club and i'm like it's not a plant jocelyn it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe we could fudge it <laughs> yeah, yeah i was like we name. all want to read that book but we're not allowed to <laughs> <laughs> yeah for publicity he like grew mushrooms out of the book and ate them yeah. right okay <laughs> so good <laughs> was it entangled life is it called is that the yeah, entangled, yeah, entangled life. life. Maybe to wiggle myself out of the, the 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 question is like maybe I would recommend individual chapters as they are quite as they can be isolated quite well. I would have to look through them again which ones I would suggest. But maybe they're like the some one with the woodpecker in it. Yeah, maybe this chapter or um I like to yeah, I think it must be in the in the in the same or similar chapter. One of my favorite bits was when he was talking about mites in the forests. Um and how there's like all kinds of mites for pretty much everything and we have like dust mites at home and in the forest you also find mites uh, for a similar reason like we are shedding skin and then dust mites are eating the skin and the trees are shedding bark and then you have specific mites that break down that bark um, and I quite like that idea that you have like these like all of everywhere you have like these specialized but sort of similar systems that break down the um, the nutrients and I think maybe that chapter or chapters around it uh, that are also talking about the birds is something that I would recommend people to to read but maybe not the, the whole book or I would say like skip a couple of chapters like I would mark the ones where like there's one that's talking just about how trees transport water and they don't know how and it doesn't really lead anywhere it's just like we don't know but it goes on for a couple of pages I'm just like why a couple of the chapters did that right there was like sort of like why why vague vague vague, no conclusions and it's like but we also we know more than what you're saying it's just that you haven't researched more (laughs) true that Mm -hmm. as well um but so yeah 
So that's my answer to that. <laughs> also, I think if you got them, if somebody was reading it, I would tell them to read the last chapter before reading the rest of it because I think, as I said, that like settles you in what he's trying to do, and it makes like this kind of metaphorical overuse of plants having pain like a bit clearer. I think so. I would suggest that. I think I would recommend it to three different groups of people. Uh, one would be um, I, I uh, from working in forestry-related research, but coming from molecular biology and from a very lab-based perspective, I would recommend people to read it to see to get a larger perspective and see that there's more things about the forest than just molecules. That uh, I think the forester's perspective is interesting, and I'm teaching forestry students, and I know they have a very different perspectives. And me being a teacher from a different field, I often notice that they know much more about real forestry practices and other stuff that I'm not so aware of. And the whole idea is like of where the different trees like to be. I would trust him about that. Um, and uh, I know for some of the things um, uh, they, they, I, I have read about that more scientifically and I know that's actually true and how the trees develop under other trees. The whole thing about like visible things that he as a forester has observed, I think that's a, a great perspective for a molecular biologist working in that area to, to have. I would also recommend it to um, students to read like one chapter that I would pick uh, maybe the one with the brain and the roots and to do a critical analysis on that and it's like what is he actually saying and how does he make these claims and what do we know about roots to foster critical thinking mm -hmm. I think that's a good it's a good book to be used for yeah, and uh, in a context of learning uh, popular science writing Uh, as it has been such a popular book, I would also extract maybe some chapters and seeing how does he write, how does he get this emotional level in that we as scientists often have problems getting into our writing and that makes it difficult, maybe not so attractive for people to read it, but how could we do it more scientific? So I, I, say I, could, I can still see that I can get um, things out of the book that are valuable, um, even though that I know I wouldn't give it to a person, say, read this book, then you know all about how trees work, because I feel that this is a bit too light in, in terms of scientific facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think these are some excellent points. And I think that's also what I will use this book for in the future. And I think I might even get maybe as like an ebook or something, the German copy to to learn the things in like English and German, because like, I, I work in Germany. I, I have to understand like how, how he does like nice German sentences that people want to read because I want to be able to do that as well. Um, sort of looking at the at it on a meta perspective instead of at the actual content. So I quite like that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shall we vote on it? How how would you uh, how many of whatever <laughs> things would you give it out of five? <laughs> Who wants to start? I can start. I would give it three uh, percent uh, of light it reaches the ground. And you can understand that as like three percent very close to zero, or three out of five, which is right in the middle, because there's like some things in there, as we said, that you can take from it, from this. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't recommend it to to most people to to read. So that's my voting. 
I'm giving it two tree carcasses pecked out by woodpeckers and infested by fungi <laughs> out of five. I think I would give it three beech leaves out of five. I will give it three root brains out of five. <laughs> oh I still liked it, and it was easy to read. And I must say, I read a whole bunch, uh, basically 150 pages in a row this week, and I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> it, it is repetitive in parts, but it's also easy to read. And yeah, so, uh, and I think it can be used for many for many purposes yet not for all <laughs> and in the end you can grow fungi on it and eat them like exactly i bet it works with this one as well at least like the paperback seems like nice and flexible and good fungi there, food. there was a plant that came up at the end that he said was really good um at growing out of the rotting carcass of its parents like there was something that came up at the very end of it oh um, i don't know anyway yeah, what are we reading next? I know that you discussed it already like in our like internal group chat. I I forgot, so you have to tell me which, what are we reading next. <laughs> We're we going to read Lessons from Plants, which is by Baronda L. Montgomery. Oh, I follow her on TikTok. Yes. <laughs> no way. Wait, TikTok? You have TikTok. <laughs> oh, wait, is it? Or am I mixing that up? I think you're thinking of somebody different. I think... But is I'm that? following her on some social media somewhere. Like yeah. I've, I've seen her Probably live on Instagram things. or Twitter. Maybe Instagram, yeah. Uh, Baronda is also like sort of friends with JVN from Queer Eye, so like <laughs> there's also a podcast episode um, featuring her as well. So could be fun oh, to listen cool. to that as well. Like she's done a lot of like like it's quite a recent book, and in the last like month, there's been a lot of like press stuff and. Um, like I saw a live with JVN and like some some discussions like on nature and stuff like that like like these opinion pieces and stuff so should be a fun one hopefully yeah so to finish this uh, the song that he referred to in his book <laughs> was by Peter Maffei and the text that he relates to is und wenn ich gehe dann geht nur ein Teil von mir when I go only a part of me leaves <laughs> so it? that that was his uh, referral to how trees uh, are turned over and yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pulling up Go the on. lyrics and try to remember what this song goes like because I, I must have listened to this because it's like a German classic um, but I don't know the melody well enough to to actually sing it for you otherwise I would have but um, <laughs> no I don't really recommend, uh, recommend it uh, um, recognize it from Do you the know rest what, of Judith, the you, could you sing it? No, I actually don't. It says it's from 1979. That was even before I was born. That doesn't mean I should not know <laughs> it. <but> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't released during my years. <laughs> I, I would probably recognize when I hear it, but I, if I had listened to it, I, I may have been <laughs> able. But uh, like that, I actually don't know. <laughs> Good, then. Um, do we? Uh, you usually say where people can talk to us if they want to, right? Um, so who wants to start? Yes. This? Well, for me, you can find us at uh, flora-l.com or on Instagram at flora.l.design. And we are also on Facebook at flora-l-design-ab. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Ellen Earhart or 
plant underscore crimes or on Instagram at Ellen Air Plant. Uh, so it's different than my Twitter. Sorry. Yaram <laughs> <laughs> and I are at www.plantsandpipettes.com or you can find us on the socials on Insta and on Facebook. It's me. It's at Plants and Pipettes. And nice. on Twitter, you can talk to me at, uh, at Plants Pipettes. Thank you for today. Yeah, great. thank you all so yeah. much. It was a fun episode. Thank you. I enjoyed listening to y'all's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. But no, goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>